Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline.ag is back and better than ever for the 2021 football season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Double your initial deposit just for signing up today. Use the promo code NFL100 at checkout. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Silly gooses. Welcome in, everybody. It is Thursday, September 23rd by my count. It might not be that by your count. We still appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you are stopping in. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I did not mean for that to sound like a threat, but please leave that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It is so, so important. Just write a mean comment. Write your prediction for Thursday Night Football, whatever it is. Uh, the loyal listeners will be rewarded quite nicely if you do. So thank you very much to everyone who has stopped in. Speaking of which, Gage Bridgeford is back. He's going to make a nice little stop here on the Take It Easy train and war- warm us up for the NFL weekend with some scintillating Jimmy G and Trey Lance talk. I was really, really wanted to get into this conversation because... Yes, it got worn out a bit during the offseason, but now that we've had some precedent and some time go by, I think the Trey Lance and Jimmy G conversation is actually relevant again, and so I, I really wanted to have that conversation with, and it's fitting considering his Green Bay Packers play the 49ers this weekend, so uh, Gage is really well informed. You can check out his great writing as well over on his Twitter. Um, the link to that is in the description to today's episode. I've spent three minutes plugging stuff and ads and all that stuff. Let's just get into the show today. And before we get to Gage, I do want to uh, kick this one off with a Thursday night football preview. And we played this back on Tuesday, but today's the day we get to officially talk about the Sam Darnold Revenge Tour. And to do this, we need to play the bit... That lasts about a minute and 11 seconds. It took me an hour and a half to write the lyrics, to record the lyrics, find the audio to play over it, edit, make sure to get everything set. So set up to the popular song Industry Baby by Lil Nas X and Jack Harlow, we have Sam Darnold's Revenge Tour. My pocket's sitting so clean, they couldn't wait to come sack me. NYC was too flashy, y'all shouldn't have let gays draft me. Too late now, I went MIA, now I'm seeing ghosts and they scary. Sent Wilson back to NYC with that L and two intercepties. New York talking, we taking nose. Throwing DJ Moore on them posts. Falcons could, but we know they chose. Said his time was soon, but just like Oklahoma, mine is coming sooner. I'm just a late bloomer. I done peek at Essie cause I got me your revenge tour Hate these networks and computers Got mean pages walking around like they some losers I told you long ago on the road I got what Jets fans waiting for I'm seeing ghosts now Steal your souls just like Belichick oh, Y'all were never really rooting for me anyways Panthers apologies you know I wanna hear you say He's seeing ghosts now Steal your souls Tell them the revenge tour on Yeah Sam Darnold Revenge Tour 2021 God it was so hard to line up the audio on that I, I 
still messed up at times. It was so hard, but so worth it to talk about this Sam Darnold revenge tour. Is it so worth it committing two hours plus to the bit? Maybe it's not, but still the Panthers play the Texans this week. And under normal circumstances, I would tell you to not watch the Panthers and Texans because Panthers and Texans is not great Thursday night football and Thursday night football is already usually not great football. So the bar is being set kind of low on that one. But If Davis Mills is starting at quarterback, probably not a game you'll want to watch. But still, I would watch this one mostly for the Sam Darnold Revenge Tour because while Sam Darnold hasn't been like otherworldly so far as the Panthers quarterback, he has looked a lot better than what we think of Sam Darnold to be. Sam Darnold has two of his top highest four games in QBR in the first two games of this season. Panthers obviously are 2-0. and Christian McCaffrey has gone in and out, and still the Panthers' offense looks like it can work. Um, and, you know, obviously Christian McCaffrey is the best weapon that Sam Darnold has ever had. So, of course, all the math is changing on this. But his pro football focus grade is 74, which makes him in the green. Do I know what that means? No, but I know green is good. I learned that back in kindergarten, maybe even preschool. So that means Sam Darnold is doing pretty good this year. And of course, Sam Darnold is doing good this year. We wouldn't be having a revenge tour if he wasn't. And the whole idea of the revenge tour is just to mock the idea of the revenge tour. But I mean, I think the Panthers should win tonight. And the reason that we're also talking about this is so that I can doon doon lock in the Carolina Panthers at minus seven and a half tonight against the uh, Houston Texans, of course, which, you know, the Texans have been the, the Texans and Eagles are the two terrible teams that have surprised me the most this year. So to Houston's everlasting credit, you know, they, they were dealt a bad hand, by the way. All of the Vegas lines are moving towards Carolina. So uh, the I'm betting with the public on Carolina for this one. And seven and a half is a lot of points. But still, I'm uh, rolling with the public on this one to bet the Panthers and try and gain some games on our boy DSD. But even still, the Panthers, I mean, the Texans have been a, a better team than we thought. And whether that's Tyrod Taylor or not, because, you know, we... As much as we, you know, make jokes about being fringe starters or backup quarterbacks, the difference between a fringe starter like Tyrod Taylor and a true backup like we all think Davis Mills is, because it was weird that Davis Mills was drafted even in the third round, and so he's one of these guys that'll probably be a backup for a few years, and maybe if things go well, he'll be a career backup, but even Davis Mills, like we know, the difference between like if we were to throw out, I don't know, uh, A.J. McCarron, or we were to throw out a Colt McCoy or someone like that, um, the difference between that and um, Tyrod Taylor is still pretty significant. So even fringe starters can still have some you know, value compared to the bottom parts of the backups. There, There is a talent gulf there. So the Texans should be appreciably worse with Tyrod Taylor out now is this also playing the result of last week because they were tied against the Browns when Tyrod went out and after he went out I think they got outscored 17-7 in the last quarter and a half yeah I mean part of it is playing that result but you know Houston is looking better than I thought they would and maybe part of that is just beating the Jaguars and covering the spread against the <laughs> against the Browns and being one of this is a crazy stat they're one of six teams that has covered the spread in both games this year are the Houston Texans only six teams in the NFL have covered both spreads and the Texans are one of them so the Texans by gambling standards would be a 2-0 and surprising great team this year to bet on but still I, I don't think I trust Houston that way. This is all a way to get to the Sam Darnold Revenge Tour because I just want to milk content out of the Sam Darnold Revenge Tour. I just want to play this audio as much as possible. My pocket's sitting so clean, they couldn't wait to come sack me. NYC was too flashy, y'all shouldn't have let gays draft me. Too late now, I went MIA, now I'm seeing ghosts and they scary. Sent Wilson back to NYC with that L and two intercepties. New York talking, we taking nose, throwing DJ Moore on them posts. Falcons could, but we know they chose. Said his time was soon, but just like Oklahoma, mine is coming sooner. I'm just a late bloomer. 
Adam Pickett Essie cause I got me your revenge tour Hate these networks and computers got me pages walking around like they some losers I told you long ago on the road I got what Jets fans waiting for I'm seeing ghosts now steal your souls just like Belichick oh Y'all were never really rooting for me anyways Panthers apologies you know I wanna hear you say He's seeing ghosts now steal your souls Tell him the revenge tour on Yeah Sam Darnold revenge tour 2021 And the part that's been the most fun for Sam Darnold's side, I think, or at least people who are pro-Sam Darnold, is just that the numbers don't necessarily like jump off the page, but it's better than what we thought Sam Darnold was going to be. When we did our quarterback tiers back in, uh, it was either February or March, um, I put Sam Darnold in the too-early-to-tell category, but I knew he wasn't like a top-10 quarterback. I knew Sam Darnold wasn't a franchise quarterback. It was just where, in the middle group was Sam Darnold. And of course you have to be excited by how it started. And yes, the Jets defense wasn't as great. And yeah, the Saints defense was better, but also missing Marshawn Lattimore and Marcus Davenport. And, you know, they only scored 26 points. It wasn't like Sam Darnold just wowed us out of the building, but by Sam Darnold standards, that's still really good. And you know, fair or not fair to Sam Darnold to evaluate our standards based on, you know, what we've seen already and possibly stunted development. But if the Panthers are paying two years and $25 million for this version of Sam Darnold, I, I think they could view that as a victory. They've already picked up his fifth-year option, so theoretically he'll be their quarterback next year. But of course, when you have to make a decision in May and you've just traded for this guy of course you're going to be like well of course we want to get the value because we believe that we can make it work and gosh darn it it has worked so far so if Sam Darnold's going to end up being like the 17th highest paid quarterback next year on his fifth year option maybe the Jets make value out of that and of course it's early in the season one so we're working with small sample sizes too they could lose to the Texans on Thursday night and the Sam Darnold revenge tour slowly starts to fade from the uh, content sphere but hopefully we can drag it out just win this one just beat the Texans this week and we can drag content out of the Sam Darnold revenge tour because they won't play again for 10 days and when they play in 10 days they'll play the Cowboys and at least they've got a shot to beat the Cowboys we talked about this with Blake Jude early in the season. Like the Panthers are kind of in this middle group of with like, you know, New Orleans, Arizona, Dallas, Washington. There's tons of teams in the middle after the like five really good teams in the NFC. And so if they can separate themselves early in the season before they get to, you know, two games against Tampa and um, playing Buffalo and playing uh, New England, like if they can get these games out of the way early in the season everything will look a little bit better for Carolina in their like surprise playoff run, which I was talking to someone about the Panthers the other day. Cause the reason I think I had disdain for the Panthers was just cause we did a rebuilding the Carolina Panthers episode in 2019. And it feels like the Panthers made every decision other than what we would have done to rebuild the Panthers. And it might work out, but I, I was talking about what would be success for the Matt rule Panthers. And the thing I said was, will Matt Rule win a playoff game? That was my bar. Will, if Matt Rule wins a playoff game, I think with what he started with and what they built, that would be a success. Given that they extended Christian McCaffrey, given that they went the, you know, the Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, we're not going to draft a quarterback, we're just going to plug and play quarterbacks. Given they went that route, I think winning a playoff game with with Matt rule would be a success and they might not even have to win a playoff game for Joe Brady to get another head coaching job. But I think that's the bar that would determine success. And so maybe this is a slow step that way. I, I like my actual feelings outside of just the being totally sarcastic about the idea of a shitty quarterback like Sam Darnold being allowed to have a revenge tour, then realizing you could make content out of it and pivoting 180 degrees in that direction. But even still, 
the real thing I point to is just small sample size. The Panthers were probably going to split the season series against the Saints, so the big battle is just the less stressful game they have in New Orleans. I think the last week of the season they play. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's the last week of the season that they play the Saints again. But the fact that you've won one at least gives you separation because the Saints are the team you're battling with for second in the division. So my actual feelings are the Panthers probably still lack the firepower both on offense and defense to to really go after people each game it's really more of a can they score 22 points type of thing um (laughs) so they're, they're one of these situations where they'll give you 17 points even when you need 24 but they'll give you 17 points when you only need 14 so this is a an interesting Panthers season where you know, Sam Darnold's done better than we thought, but we all knew Sam Darnold wasn't going to like have a magical turnaround. And even if he did, we had never seen it before. So it would make Adam Gase look even worse than Adam Gase already does. So Sam Darnold Revenge Tour 2021, please win this one so that we can at least get two weeks of content out of the song. So with that being said, let us chat with our friend Gage Bridgeford. Follow him on Twitter for his Packers, Nuggets, NFL, fantasy football, all the good stuff that he's doing. So uh, make sure to give him a follow and uh, enjoy this podcast with him because it's really, really good. And I don't mean to oversell it, but it is really good. My pocket's sitting so clean, they couldn't wait to come sack me. And once he was too flashy, y'all shouldn't have let Gage draft me. Too late now, I went MIA, now I'm seeing ghosts and they scary. Sent Wilson back to NYC with that L and two intercepties. New York talking, we taking nose. Throwing DJ Moore on them posts. Falcons could, but we know they chose. Said his time was soon, but just like Oklahoma, mine is coming sooner. I'm just a late bloomer. I done peek at Essie cause I got me your revenge tour Hate these networks and computers Got me pages walking around like they some losers I told you long ago on the road I got what Jets fans waiting for I'm seeing ghosts now Steal your souls just like Belichick Oh, y'all were never really rooting for me anyways Panthers apologies, you know I wanna hear you say He's seeing ghosts now, steal your souls Tell him the revenge tour on Yeah Sam Darnold Revenge Tour 2021 Two weeks into the NFL season the NFL remains the most confusing of all sports. There's never a rhyme nor reason to which team wins and when and why they win. So that so two weeks into the NFL season, that's where I'm at. And yet sometimes the NFL is always so consistent. Like debates about whether the Raiders are good or not, or um, you know, Kirk Cousins being down seven points, length of the field, one minute, no timeouts left to go. Some yep. things never change. Yep, the NFL always the old NFL always has dumb rules that they implement. Like this year, it's the taunting rules are stupid and make no sense to me because there's no like rhyme or reason to why they're done. There's been well, more I'm penalties stunned. called. Yeah, there's been more penalties called this year in the in each of the first two weeks than were called in a single week last season. Wow. Yeah, I did not know that. Gage is bringing the facts here, but. I'm surprised no one's talking about the reason why we have the taunting rules this year. It's because Anton Winfield threw up the deuces in the Super Bowl, and because that was the last image we had for six months, everyone kept talking about taunting for like two months after that. So I think that's why the rule changed. It was just because the same reason we changed the pass interference rules after the Rams-Saints game is just people couldn't shut up about the last thing they remembered about the NFL season, and the NFL just didn't want them talking about taunting. The problem is, they're, it's the classic NFL. They're fixing something that's not broken. Yeah, they just don't want us talking about it. They're like, how can we get rid of all of tabloid news and get rid of all things that would get people talking about our league? Like when the, like the Antoine Winfield thing, yeah, that was taunting. I agree. That, you throw a flag on that. That's it. You, there's no they – were, they did a good job of policing taunting before. Now they're going too far the other direction. Taunting was like there was celebrations and stuff. And if a guy gets into too into somebody's face, they got a flag on it and you moved on. That was the end of it. Now, now it's the complete opposite. There's guys that are not even trying to taunt or 
and just like even having a conversation sometimes that's a heated one can be a flag in the like in the Bengals in the Bengals Bears game the other day. Von Bell, uh, safety for the Bengals, goes in, breaks up a pass, and then he's chirping a little bit at Andy Dalton. Dalton's talking to his receiver, not even paying any mind, and then the ref throws a flag on Bell, and it's like there's, that's not a flag. Don't there doesn't need to be a flag there. What are we doing? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Von Bell because I think there's two things Von Bell is going to be remembered for for the rest of his career. One, taunting rules, and two, blowing up Juju Smith-Schuster on that Monday night game after the Corvette-Corvette thing. Neither of which have anything to do with Von Bell's football playing ability. It's just sometimes that's what happens when you're a player is that you get remembered for these things that are memorable, and then that's all we know about your career because you're Von Bell, second safety on the Bengals. You know, that's just the way it goes, especially when his teammate Jesse Bates is actually good that you're, you're not going to be. So it's like, hey, your teammate's good. And then you're the other guy. So you're never going to be as good as your teammates. So you're only going to be remembered for all of the bad stuff that you do. You know what I laughed about over Jesse Bates was that the Bengals did new uniforms this offseason. And so they did a photo shoot with like a throne and. Joe Mixon got to sit on the chair and they lined up like all their best players to model the Jersey. There's only like seven players there. I knew one was Mixon. I knew one was Joe Burrow. I knew Trey Hendrickson was in there and I couldn't pick out Jesse Bates in the crowd. There was only seven people there. I'm like, I don't know which one is Jesse Bates. And there's a second team, all pro safety. Well, you're not going to be able to pick him out because the NFL doesn't hype him up. That's the problem. Like the, it was out of a line of Bengals though. Like I get it. If you're putting him with all NFL players, I only had like four options and I still couldn't pick him out. I guarantee you're not alone though. So it's okay. The vast majority of people probably couldn't pick Jesse Bates out of a lineup. Yeah, no, it's part of the anonymity of football players, but also just the Bengals is part of it too. Yeah, and he didn't go to – it's not like he went to a big school. He's actually – he's from Indiana, which is where I'm from. He went to uh, Fort Wayne Snyder, which is a school that uh, a friend of mine went to. And he went to Wake Forest, like, for college. It's He didn't – he is is classic small, like, small school guy. I understand Wake Forest is a big school in terms of its Power 5 conference, but – it's not, it's not Bama. It's not Florida. It's not it's one Wake of those. Forest. My yeah, favorite it's... stat about Wake Forest is that they have never won more than eight games or lost more than nine games for 16 years. They've always been between three and eight wins for 16 years. That's honestly extremely impressive. Yeah, it's unbelievable how average Wake Forest has been for about, you know, almost two decades. Hey, I would rather a school be average, like, and and rather than just terrible. Like, you don't like. There's no one celebrating UConn. No, but no one wants to be that. No one wants to be Kansas. No one wants to be Arizona. You don't want to be the team that storms the field after you beat South Dakota and don't even cover the spread. No one wants to be that team. Yeah, that's true. No, but nobody wants to be that team. But like, if you're Wake Forest, it's like, yeah, we're mediocre. We're never going to win more than eight games. But at least we're just, at least we're just doing something. We're getting by. But every now and then we get to beat Florida State by three touchdowns and celebrate that. Everybody gets to beat Florida State. I wish, like, I went to IU. I wish IU would play Florida State just so they could get a big win on their resume. Yeah, isn't that the fun thing you do with all the programs that have fallen, like with Nebraska, where you can like say, look at us, we beat Nebraska, and pretend like it's a program building win or something? I mean, that's what Oklahoma and Nebraska just build their, like the match of the century or whatever it was, because they haven't, like the game happened like 50 some years ago, and Nebraska beat Oklahoma, but it was ruled, it was called like the game of the century. And so that's how they marketed this game, was it was the game of the century 2.0 or whatever, even though none of these kids were even alive when that game happened. But when they scheduled it eight years ago, they thought that it's like, oh, this could be a game of the century repeat, not realizing Oklahoma's built like a borderline top five program in college football and Nebraska is Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't think they planned that out back in 2013 when, you know, Nebraska had just moved to the Big Ten you know, they had a nine and four season in there. They were feeling good about themselves. I don't. I don't think they thought it would be this. I don't think they'd fall. They thought they'd fall this hard. And that's the downside to scheduling eight years in advance, like college football does. So, 
Yeah, of course. I think the same thing just happened in Miami where they were like, we're going to play Bama. And then it comes up and we're like, oh, shit, we're going to play Bama. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, you, that, that's – well, I, I guarantee you that's one of those games they made when they were on the come up like a few years ago when the whole turnover chain thing happened and it was like, oh, Miami football's back. And then, no, you're not. No, you're not because Bama is a football factory and they're just better than you in every way. And Miami is basically Wake Forest. <laughs> it's Wake yeah. Forest with clout. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's true. Yeah, sorry, Miami fans. It's it's not personal. It's an ACC coastal thing. Um, <laughs> you mentioned small schools earlier, and you know your Packers play the 49ers this weekend, but I don't want to ask you about the Packers. That's been worn out thin at this point. So I want to ask where you stand on the Garoppolo Trey Lance thing. I think Trey Lance. Uh, so, so you're one. I will let you know you're talking to a Trey Lance truther. Uh, I love Trey Lance in the pre-draft process. I have been, uh, I have been a Trey Lance stan for a year and a half now. Um, I, I, I love the, I love the talent. The kid's arm is nuts. I had him as QB two in this class behind only Trevor Lawrence, and I said that I think his ceiling is even higher than Trevor Lawrence's. Um, just because he is his ability, his ability in the running game, and he can still make every single throw. Like I understand he was playing at the FCS level, but you watch him play, and he was just quite clearly just better than everybody else that he was going against. He was just he was the best guy on the field, and it wasn't close. Um, and it makes you and it makes you chuckle almost that Minnesota could have had him, and instead they wanted Tanner Morgan. So. Um, oh, I didn't even know that. Oh my yeah, gosh! Yeah, so they so Trey Lance is from Minnesota. He, it was his dream to go there. He didn't get an offer to go there, and they went with Tanner Morgan instead. And then Trey Lance went to North Dakota State as a result. Wow! Um, but yeah, so Trey Lance, I'm a huge fan. I think he's extremely talented. I think he's a. I think that if San Francisco really wants to contend for a championship, that's who they need to play. The problem is they also would rather just be relevant, and that's what Jimmy G gets you. Jimmy GQ gets you high floor play, but he doesn't scratch the ceiling that you get with a guy like Trey Lance because Trey can run, which then puts the defense into a bind that they have to honor him on the RPO. If Jimmy G goes on the RPO, you're not concerned about him running because even if he keeps the ball, he's not moving very fast. If Trey Lance keeps the ball, he's housing it. If you if you just don't attend if you just don't pay any attention to him that and well, that's and, what Lance yeah. brings you. And, and this is what I thought the reasoning was at the beginning. Like it's why you give up three first round picks to make it happen is because he was going to play. Like that was the whole point of doing this. Was like you are giving yourself a higher ceiling than Jimmy Garoppolo, but technically Garoppolo has one year left on his contract. So I thought it would be perfect situation to have him as a backup. You know, like. You could even theoret, even though I don't like the idea, you could theoretically do a Tua Fitzpatrick situation where Jimmy G's like a closer when you need a when you just need someone to hand the ball off. And I I, I thought this was the game they were going to make the switch. I thought Week Three prime time against the Packers was when they were going to make the switch to Trey Lance. And the fact it hasn't happened probably is just because they're two and zero. I think if they lose. If they lose the Eagles game last week, which they were never really in jeopardy of, even though the game was closer than it, you know, we thought it was, um, I no question Lance would be playing. Um, I think it's only because they're two and zero that Garoppolo's still there. But I thought this was the perfect time to make the switch. Was it, long weeks primetime game put Trey Lance in against the Packers? If I'm if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I'm look. I have the the 49ers schedule pulled up here in front of me right now. They played, obviously, Lions week one, Eagles week two, Green Bay this week, Seattle next week, Arizona the week after that, Indy, uh, they get a bye week, and then they play Indy at home, and then they travel to Chicago, and then they have Cardinals Rams. So where I'm circling, though, is these final eight games of the season. They play in Jacksonville in November, and then they had the Vikings at home. They play at Seattle. They play at the Bengals. They play the Falcons. They play at the Titans. They play Houston, and then they play the Rams. In those final eight games, there's one good defense, and it's in and it's the final game of the year. You, so if you can get Jimmy to just milk you through the first nine games of the year, and then you can give him four, you can give him a layup of Jacksonville and Minnesota. Minnesota's bad. 
and you can give him Minnesota at home on a Sunday that, and you just give him this cakewalk final eight games to really build some momentum before the playoffs. That's, that's where you play him. And the reason, and the difference between playing Trey Lance here in San Francisco versus like Justin Fields is getting ready to start this week. Justin Fields doesn't have a choice. Obviously Andy Dalton's hurt, but that team's not going to contend anyway. This San Francisco team is going to contend. Trey Lance is raw as even as a guy that I was a humongous fan of him in the draft. I thought that he was the second best quarterback in terms of where, who I would draft. And I thought that he was a better like ceiling player than Trevor Lawrence. I, I know he's not ready yet and that's okay. Give him a couple of months. Let Jimmy take these tough games. Let him play Indy. Let him play at Chicago. Let him play against Arizona on the road when Arizona looks really good. Let him play Seattle. Let him play Green Bay here. And the then thing he- I've always found tough is like, what is he going to learn in the next two months that is going to make him exponentially a better quarterback? Or is it just you don't want to put him out there against really good defenses in the event that it like shoots his confidence down, kind of like what happened to Zach Wilson? Like, I, think I, I there mean, are Zach very- Wilson is a DEFCON 9 example, but still. I think there's these various things that just we as casual NFL people and casual football people don't see, can't, can't understand. Like we can't comprehend what a player is able to learn by sitting on the sideline because if, okay, you ever think about the, Oh, well, it's easy to say that when you're sitting up here in the box or when I'm sitting here at home, like you always hear people say that, Oh, well, he missed the wide open guy on the backside of the, on the backside. Well, yeah, it's easy for you to say that here. That's the thing. Trey Lance it's easier for easier for him to learn these things. Yeah, he can go out there and he can play, but he can also he can see and be like, okay, what is Jimmy not seeing that I'm seeing while I'm sitting over here? What is he What is he doing? What's he doing right? The offense is on schedule right now. What is he doing right to make sure that we stay on schedule? And how can I do that? Because Trey Lance does have a little bit of a like go off script type. He did run a pro style offense in college, which I love, but. He is a little bit off script. He does like to extend plays a little bit. And that's the benefit he brings you that Jimmy doesn't. But what he learns is he's going to see all sorts of different defenses here over these next several weeks. Like the defense that Green Bay plays isn't the same as the one Seattle plays versus the one that Indy plays or Arizona. All these defenses are going to be different. And I understand everyone's like, oh, well, he can't learn if he's not playing against them. It's like, yeah, you're right. But Jimmy knows these and San Francisco is trying to contend. San Francisco can't afford to just give games away. So that's why they need to build this early cushion against these tougher teams that Trey might, Trey Lance might not be good enough yet to put you over the top of these good teams. But over that back half of the schedule, your team can carry you against Jacksonville and against Minnesota and against mm-hmm. Cincinnati and against Atlanta and Houston. Well, why do we do this only with the quarterback position? Is it just because the quarterback position is is presumably more complex than every other position where it would require like waiting and learning from the sidelines? Because the thing that I'd say before is like, yes, it's possible that there are complex reasons that we aren't understanding for why it is. But I can also look at historical precedent and say, why are we starting Nathan Peterman over Josh Allen? Why are we starting TJ Yates over Deshaun Watson? Like, why okay, are we well, starting those are, Alex those Smith are a little over different. Patrick Mahomes? Those are a little different. Yeah. Okay, well, one, the Alex Smith over Patrick Mahomes thing. Patrick Mahomes is the is the exception to the rule. Everybody knows Yes, that, that is you can't totally compare, fair. Yeah. If you compare anybody to Patrick Mahomes, that's bad process. Starting oh, TJ Yates over... Idea, I just meant the idea of sitting Mahomes for a year is like... We talk about like he transitioned from Smith to Mahomes nicely. And I look at it now, I'm like, Alex Smith lost a playoff game to Marcus Mariota that year that Mahomes sat on the bench. Imagine if you had put Mahomes in that game, they could have, could have, like, could have, should have, would have won the Super Bowl if you put yeah, Mahomes but, in instead of Alex but, Smith. But also at the same time, Alex or Mahomes could make, could make some rookie mistake that a veteran wouldn't make. It, hindsight's 2020. It's the class. It's, of that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, so if I and also it's not just an exclusively a quarterback thing. I like I'm a Green Bay fan. Eric Stokes, Green Bay's first round corner, is not playing the majority of the snaps right now. Kevin King is, and for the bane of and I know it's the bane of Packer fan existence that Kevin King is playing the majority of the snaps, but he is. Eric Stokes, they're bringing him along slowly. They're giving him time, letting him learn because he's got two veterans in front of him. You don't need to throw him out there. Kevin King is having some issues, but at the same time. Eric Stokes isn't exactly like shutting everything down out there. 
So it's not exclusively a quarterback thing. I think it's just one, there's way more focus on quarterbacks because obviously that's where the money is. That's where the, that's the big name. That's where everything is starting or starting Nate Peterman over Josh Allen. Was that the, was Sean McDermott the court, the coach yet? Or did Sean McDermott uh, yeah. come the next year? So that was McDermott's second year. So the first year was, uh, McDermott wasn't the coach for the playoff run, was he? Or was he, So he might have been the head coach for the playoff run. I'm not okay. certain now. So Josh Allen came into the NFL in 2018, correct? Yeah. So that, was was there, McD- so- that was McDermott's second season. So yes, he was the coach then. And he made a bad call by starting Nate Peterman. He quickly rectified his mistake and benched him, though. Yes, but it was the second time he did it, too, because the year before he benched Tyrod for Peterman and then immediately rectified his mistake. And I, I there wasn't there was it had to have been his second year because there wasn't a coach in between Rex Ryan and Sean McDermott. There, yeah, it I don't was the second year. I have it. I have it pulled up here. They oh, went okay. Six and 10. Yeah, no, cool. it, it was the second year. That's what I was confirming. But. So yeah, he made a mistake there. The TJ Yates thing wasn't that was the uh, what was the coach's name? What was uh, Bill O'Brien. Or yeah, that was yeah, that was Billy O'Brien, and he's just an idiot. He's just an idiot and a bad coach. <laughs> so there's a difference there with bench Kyle Shanahan for all of his clock management and his ability to hold maintain a lead issues. He's a good coach. Objectively, he's a good coach. So I trust Shanahan's process here of understanding Lance needs time for for us to compete for a title this year our best bet is letting Jimmy do his job correctly and win games while Trey learns and people are like oh well he won't learn on the sideline well guess what that's how he's gonna learn here also arguably the greatest quarterback of all time he sat for three years before he played yeah, and it's never happened. Well, it, <laughs> it never happened until it happened with Jordan Love, but it it had never happened again after his situation because it was such a weird exception because everyone was stupid and passed on Aaron Rodgers in that draft. But still, it was it was a weird situation, of course. And uh, so is Lance because there's I think there's a misconception like generally between football fans is like is Lance about this year and beyond, or is it 2022 and beyond that their project Trey Lance exists for? Cause I had thought in the immediate future, if Trey Lance is immediately better than Jimmy Garoppolo, well then all of a sudden you have a chance to win a Super Bowl right now. But I also look at the 49ers. I'm like, they're still going to have most of these stars two, three years from now. So is Lance more about the next iteration of the team or is Lance like a way to upgrade at their, you know, probably their weakest position on offense? I think it, I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I think that Trey Lance could be ready this year, but at the same time, they don't need him to be ready this year. And so that's, so they need him to be ready for next year. That's what really matters. But I think he could be ready at some point this year. And also this, I mean, this way, being as a realistic outside third party, the 49ers aren't winning a Super Bowl this year. They don't have the corners. They they just can't. If they ma- match up with the Rams in the playoffs, they're cooked. If they match up with Tampa Bay in the playoffs, they're cooked. They're shit. even Seattle. Even yep, Seattle too. Two of, yeah, and let's you know what Arizona. Let's throw all three of them in there. Let's say Arizona <laughs> rides this hot streak and finds the playoffs. I understand Cliff like Cliff Kingsbury's an interesting coach, but this Arizona offense is cooking everybody right now. Rondale Moore looks good, and he's not even playing a full snap load yet. A.J. Green looks actually not just completely worn down and broken anymore. I'm not saying he's the A.J. Green that he was eight years ago, but he's he looks good. This San Francisco team is going to contend for a title this year. I saw someone last week ask, how is this San Francisco team so bad? Like, why are their corners so terrible? And I'm like, you lost Jason Verrett to an injury in week one. You lost your, you lost Richard Sherman. You traded Akella Witherspoon. You, I'm not to sure mention another corner. Not to mention they were already shitty during your Super Bowl run in 2019. <laughs> yeah, it's like you are bad at corner because you don't have any of the corners that you had. That's why you're bad at corner. So this team is ready to contend this year. I think that they can make some noise just because their system's unique and their offense functions well and they have a decent pass rush, but they're not going to contend for a title. So if Trey Lance is ready this year, great. If not, that's okay. It's okay. He'll be ready next year. 
Let me ask you this. Is the 49ers window closed? I know it's a cliche question, but is their winning window closed with what that the core of the team that they had? Your winning window is never closed as long as you have a quarterback on your team. As long as you have a good, as long as you have an above average quarterback on your team, which I believe Trey Lance can develop into, your winning window is never closed. It's the same reason why Green Bay has been a contender every year despite never despite having a below average defense or despite having a below average running game or offensive line or whatever. Yeah. Throw out Aaron, the six, nine and one season that got McCarthy fired. Like even where, then. And yeah. And that season was weird. And I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers was beat up throughout the year and other people were hurt, but regardless you look at it and as long as you have a quarterback that's above average, you are always at your winning window is always open. That's why the Patriots were so good forever. Their winning window was always open because they had Tom Brady. Yeah, and then the Chiefs are the new version of that where their winning window is always open. And the, yep. that division has now become the new AFC East where, you know, the Broncos, Raiders, and Chargers are kind of just perpetually mediocre for, you know, a decade or half decade now because they can't win the division. And that kind of – the 49ers thing is tough because I we did a podcast on their roster construction going forward and – they're going to be one of these teams like the Rams that just builds around like six stars in the next few years. Cause you have um, Nick Bosa's contract, you have Armstead, you have Trent Williams. Um, I'm forgetting a few people, but the oh, Kittle and there's just a bunch of contracts that are going to be making up most of your cap space. So if that's the case, I guess to be, you know, better than, or at least to be one of these teams, that's not like the same team every year, like the Seahawks, the Seahawks, win 10 games losing the first round or second round every year like to not be that I guess you would need the quarterback to be special so in that case you know working this out right now I guess Lance is more of a future project than a right now prospects yeah I like I'm not counting on Lance to be ready this year and that's okay but if I look as long as he is ready next year to be the starter and as long as he develops on the track that I expect him to the 49ers window is open just because that's what a that's in the modern NFL. That's what an above average quarterback does for you. You don't need your quarterback to be elite. It helps. It absolutely helps to have Mahomes, Rogers, Brady, Russ, etc. But you don't need that. There's a reason that uh, there's a reason the Cleveland Browns were able to make it to the were able to make it to the play uh, were able to make it to the second round of the playoffs last year. They had a good system and Baker was good enough. He needed to be better and he needs to be better, but he was good enough. Josh Allen took a leap into – he was an elite quarterback last year. There's regression coming. We've seen that through weeks one and two. Granted, it didn't help that he played Pittsburgh and Miami, who have two good defenses. But as long as your quarterback develops and you have an above-average to elite quarterback, that's all you need in order to have a winning window open. Money – like plus, the cap's getting ready to go up because they just signed that brand-new TV deal, so I'm not super concerned about cap, and there will be a lot of teams that – stick to the stars and scrubs model. I think the Rams are still the best at doing it because they scout better than everybody somehow, but well, and the Rams had the cojones to go get Jalen Ramsey when they had no cap space. Cause they figured out, you know, we can cut Todd Gurley here, maneuver a contract here. And all of a sudden we can open two, uh, $20 million for Jalen Ramsey. You, you know, they're like, so if you're willing to go make that move and it works out for you, you look like geniuses. Now, if the, now Jalen had, not re-signed or like they had offered him every amount of money in the world. And he said, Nope, not taking it. I'm leaving. They'd look like idiots. Or if Jalen regressed severely in the Ram system, which was always highly unlikely because of how talented of a player he is, they look stupid, but that didn't happen. That's the thing. This there's all these crazy moves that people make. That's like, Oh, that's a dumb move. And then it's like, Oh, that move was great. You look awesome. And it's just how it's just how it works out after the fact that we end up saying that move looked good or did not look good. This is how markets kind of correct themselves. Even Like it applies to larger society, but within sports, it's, you know, in a salary cap sport, it, it creates nice circumstances where after the Browns model, like picks became valued so much that eventually, you know, you could turn the other way and say, oh, now picks have been overvalued to where you're talking about, I mean, gosh, it's, you know, two first round picks. Uh, Bradley McDougal, who I feel like has been traded in these trades a few times and a hundred million dollars in two first round picks. And then you turn around the other side and like, that's a guaranteed hall of famer. 
Like that is a Hall of Fame talent as long as he doesn't get injured. Jalen Ramsey is going to be a Hall of Famer on the other side. And teams spend $100 million in two first-round picks all the time and don't walk away with Hall of Famers. And so this is where kind of like things swing the other way, where it's like, oh, now you can get – now picks are valued so much that you can get superstars for like 60 cents on the dollar, like the Rams did with Jalen Ramsey or the Seahawks did with Jamal Adams, even though he he's become a meme on the internet too for unfair reasons. But like you can get – top players for like basically nothing at that point so the way i look at the whole like trading for like trading picks versus like just getting established stars and that whole thing i was thinking about it actually earlier today so the so obviously i said i went to indiana university i would tell you i live in indiana the colts gm chris ballard is like notorious for just not making first round picks he made one this year but like every year since he got here, I feel like he either trades his first round pick or he trades back, trades up, does all sorts of movement. Last year, he traded a single first round pick for DeForest Buckner and then handed DeForest Buckner a blank check and said, you will get whatever amount, amount of money you want. And it worked out. DeForest Buckner was a border. I don't think he was an all pro last year, but he was pretty damn close to it. He was an, he's an outstanding player. He's a multi-time pro bowler now. And he just he was okay so he was an all pro last year so he was an all pro and he's been a pro bowler and yeah he, he's been an all pro on two different teams now once with the 49ers and once with the Colts and he and all that costed was one first round pick I'll trade it for that's the like if you see the board and you're like you know I could get a guy like a Javon Kintlaw who the 49ers ended up taking with that pick or I can get a guy that I know is going to be good for at least the next four or five years I'll do that. And that's exactly what they did. Sometimes trading picks for an established talent is, is a good thing is the way to handle it. I think that where people get messed, where people make mistakes is when you start trading multiple picks for unestablished players, Jalen Ramsey was young, but he was, you knew he was going to be good. DeForest yeah, Buckner, just look at him. Just, yeah. just look at him. That dude's amazing. DeForest Buckner was young, but you knew he was going to be good. There's, there is always a yeah, Jamal like, Adams, same thing. Jamal Adams is a stud. Stephon Diggs, same thing. Like all those guys, you just knew they were studs. Yeah. And it's one of those, if you know that you're in your winning window, which the Colts could argue that if they could just figure out how to make Ryan Grigson never be the GM and then they protect Andrew Luck and then Andrew Luck never gets hurt and you don't have this problem, then you're firmly in your winning window. Granted, I think yeah. Carson Wentz is better than he gets credit for, but Trading picks at the end of the day, it's all about winning Super Bowls. Just like the like everyone wants to dog the Lakers for trading all their picks and all their players. Well, guess what? They won a damn title, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many picks they traded, how many players they traded, how much money they're spending, or whatever. They won a title, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. And so, if the, yeah. so if the Rams want to go Stars and Scrubs, if it works out and they win a title, no one can say a word because they won. And even that way can be sustainable. Like people think, well, you can't keep sustaining the talent like that. Sometimes you don't even have to because all of a sudden players start building each other up around those guys like Leonard Floyd, like the Rams around Aaron Donald can plug any dude at that position at edge rusher. And he's going to be better than what the value says. Cause that's just what having an Aaron Donald does to you. And so you know, I think I think I saw Dante Fowler like get a sack in that game for the Falcons this weekend. I kind of forgot. Oh yeah, he's still collecting checks that Aaron Donald wrote for him. Like he should be giving ten percent of his paychecks to Aaron Donald on the Falcons for that reason. And that's just what having generational talents can do for you is that you can kind of pick and choose. Where teams get in trouble is only when they can't re-sign all their stars. So like the 49ers example, they obviously could have, should have, would have won a Super Bowl with all of the stars they had on defense, all on cheap contracts. Um, imagine if they just traded a Rick Armstead instead of DeForest Buckner. Like, then it would have all worked out well for them. It's just they picked the wrong player to trade for that first-round pick. Okay, well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Eric Armstead's not a bad player. But he's not DeForest Buckner, He's not though. DeForest yeah, but you're also not going to get a first-round pick for Eric Armstead. That that's fair, but it was just being it was being proposed by 49ers fans. That's like, well, after the Super Bowl, we can only keep one. Is it keep a Rick or extend a Rick or extend to force Buckner? Because I think Armstead got an extension like right after the Buckner trade, where 
they're like, we can only keep one of them under the contract. So which one are we going to keep? You keep the one that you can afford, which was our, which was Eric Armstead. You couldn't, you couldn't afford to keep DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead because you also have to be look for, you have to be forward thinking. You have to look at these other, you have to look at these other contracts that are getting ready to come up because you're going to run into it where you're going to have to pay a lot of other guys. Like you mentioned, Nick Bosa, you're going to have to pay Debo Samuel. Brandon Ayuk, if he ever gets out of the Kyle Shanahan doghouse, you have a quarterback now who he's on a rookie deal, which makes this a lot easier. But at the time, you didn't know that you were going to have a rookie QB because you still had Jimmy. You didn't you didn't know that you were going to have this free cap space once Jimmy was done. You had to yeah, be, and had it's, to make play, it's playing the result a bit. But couldn't you have looked up and said for a talent like DeForest Buckner, it's worth it? That you would say, we'll figure out the rest later. Just make sure that we keep that star type of player in our on our team. Which, again, a lot of it is playing the result. If Kinlaw had been a better pick, we wouldn't be talking about any of this. Like, we don't talk about the Stephon Diggs trade for the Vikings. Like, how could you make that trade? Because they got Justin Jefferson for Stephon Diggs. We don't talk about that, so we don't have to play the result because it worked out well for both sides. But, so, like, you, so I'm looking – I actually had the 49ers depth chart pulled up here. So, you have Nick Bosa – you have Mike McGlinchey is another guy that he's going to be a free agent soon, and he's going to need a new deal. Luckily, you have George Kittle locked up. He's got a new he's got a contract, but yeah. you have but McGlinchey is going to either you're either going to have to pay him or you're going to have to find a new right tackle, and that's not easy. Luckily for you, you can plug in whatever running back you want and be successful there. You still have these corners that you have to pay, and you don't have a corner worth paying right now, other than Demot. Oh man, Lenore, the fifth round pick rookie. I, I'm not even going to try and say his name because I know I'm going to say it wrong and I don't want to do that. So you have this rookie that you have to, that you have locked in. You have Jaquiski Tart and Jimmy Ward, who as safeties have been good, but you have all these guys that you have to pay. You just paid Fred Warner and then you still have Drake and Greenlaw. Trent Williams. Trent Williams is making more than all the names you just said. He's going to get like $26 million three years from now. And But another guy that is, hasn't even been paid yet is Dre Greenlaw. And that's another guy who's also helps make your defense work. So you would having DeForest Buckner and instead of Eric Armstead and just paying the money, would it have been a good decision because DeForest Buckner is a better player? Sure. But you have to be forward thinking. And if you want to afford all of your stars or afford more of your stars, it makes more sense to pay Armstead and trade Buckner and get Kinlaw who Kinlaw's fine. He's not Buckner. You're right, but he's fine. And surrounding him with guys like Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, DJ Jones makes it a lot easier for him to elevate because that's similar to like what we talked about with the Rams. Aaron Donald makes everybody around him look better. Javon Kinlaw is not DeForest Buckner, but the guys around him are good enough to make Kinlaw's life easier. Yeah. And this is the, the, you know, the over, I don't know what the word is like the wealth of riches type of conundrum that only like a few teams have where, you know, the Legion of boom looked up and they're like, okay, we, we can't keep everyone because six of you are going to get record setting contracts. The way we were able to win at that time and go to back-to-back Super Bowls is because all of you were cheap. And we look up and we're like, okay, we recognize we have this hall of fame talented quarterback. And after that, we can keep three of you. So we're going to take the young guy, Bobby Wagner. We're going to take Earl Thomas. And we're going to take, uh, I don't know, who was the last one? Um, I, who else did they Cam extend? Oh, I guess yeah, yeah. Cam oh. Chancellor did, no, technically. No. Who's the last, like, Seattle guy that they extended? Yeah, because, like, they, they, let, um, they let Maxwell go. They let uh, Michael Bennett go. Um, they let Brandon Trent Brown go. K.J. Wright just got re- – K.J. Wright they kept for a while. They just released him. Yeah, K.J. Wright was never super expensive. I guess maybe that was it. I mean, Chancellor technically got the extension, but then he had, like, a medical retirement situation. So I don't know how that worked. Like, I just don't know how the CBA was negotiated. But basically, they were all gone within, like, you know, three years of the end of that. Part of it was, like, Earl Thomas was the wrong person to extend. But that's, like, besides the point in the end. Like... They just kind of had to pick and choose like Cliff Averill retired out of it. So like, that's another one that helped him out, but it's kind of the plethora of riches that, you know, the, the 49ers, I'd say not, not since the, the Seahawks have we seen a situation like what the 49ers had to do where 
clearly they couldn't keep everyone from this amazing defense. I guess maybe the Steelers kind of have the same situation now where they're like, uh, I mean, it's going to be tough to keep everyone around. They the just had to let they just years. had to let multiple people go. Bud Dupree, uh, Mike Hilton is now in uh, Cincinnati. They let uh, they let another Stephen Nelson's gone. Yep, St- that was the other one. Stephen Nelson was the other one I was trying to think of. They like they just sometimes you just can't afford everybody, and you got to let some people go. And they had to let all of their offensive linemen go. Obviously, besides like besides Pouncey retiring, they had I'm pretty sure there's they had to let Villanueva go. And DeCastro's gone, and just that whole offensive line got overhauled. Yeah, and it's just teams that when you draft well in a quick window together, you have that small window to win, like the Seahawks or the 49ers or the Steelers have had over the past couple of years. It's just once that window starts to close, you look up and say, okay, what do we do now? How do we pivot to the next thing? For the 49ers, I thought it was super smart to go get Trey Lance because – one, he's cheap, but also you don't have to pay those first-round picks, even their rookie contracts. So you can put that money elsewhere, wherever it might be with you know second-round picks or third-round picks or whatever else. These like stopgap guys that they want to do. At least it just creates more flexibility for your team, even if you now have to be much better at picking in the second and third rounds. Yeah, and some teams are way better at that than others, and that's why we see teams like the Rams that are able to make the Stars and Scrubs model work, and that's why we see like the Patriots have had that severe downturn as of late because they they whiffed on so many picks. Like they, the Patriots were just bad at flat out bad at drafting, and they're still not exactly improving. Like Mac Jones looks like he could be something, but you had Inkeel Harry who's gone. You had to trade. Uh, you traded Michelle. Some Michelle. Yeah. Who was their first round pick last year? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, they traded down, but uh, they got a, in uh, 2020. Oh. They traded out of the first round and drafted Kyle Duggar in the second round. I think they traded so, out of the first round. So the, it's like they're like they they. That's why some t- some teams are just flat out better at scouting and drafting than other teams. The problem is yeah. you can if you scout and you draft and you are like, hey, this is a good guy, and you get this good player, but you either a can't afford him or b you elect to not pay him it's going to come back to bite you because you got to keep those guys in house and if you piss a guy off like uh let's say i don't know jalen ramsey and you like get this elite superstar talent and then you piss him off to the point he doesn't want to play for you anymore then what's the point all you're doing is being a farm system for everybody else I'm glad you reminded me of Jalen Ramsey because in between the Seahawks and the 49ers was the Jaguars. The Jaguars were one of those teams that just had a plethora of riches and they couldn't keep everyone. So then, you know, well, they got bailed out by Telvin Smith, but they still, you know, traded Jalen Ramsey. Uh, They did give Miles Jack an extension and Gakwe held out for like a year. Um, You know, they, they kind of had to dump a, uh, Calais Campbell got traded uh, the corner who went to the uh, the Browns was obviously there. I forgot his name now, but but the um, thing with the, but the thing with the Jaguars, they, the way they built their team wasn't they didn't organically build it. They had a couple of organic pieces in Ramsey and Jack, but for the most part, that they, they paid those guys. Calais Campbell was a free agent that they brought over from, brought over from Arizona. They had multiple free agent. They paid Andrew Norwell, the guard from Jacksonville from Carolina. They paid him. Most ever money for a guard. They they built that team with money, and then it, the team got expensive, and they couldn't afford it, and then it all fell apart because everybody got old and expensive. And so and Tom Coughlin, yeah, and Tom Coughlin just decided to make everybody not want to be there. Yeah, and that one fell apart in a different way. But you're right; it, it's plethora of riches syndrome that makes roster building tough, which. Is weird to say, but you know, when you have all the young contracts, it's important to maximize the window because those are the windows that close the fastest. Like we talk about that a lot in the NFL. Like the, your window opens and then it closes right away. It's if you if your team has tons of young stars, that's definitely a problem. If the the curse of drafting well is what happens after that window is closed, and you have to you know break pieces apart and keep other guys here and there, and so. You know, in in Seattle, everyone was just looking up and saying, like, counting the the guys. They're like, okay, so Russ is getting one, Bobby's getting one, and eventually they circled back to themselves. They're like, oh snap, I am on the chopping block for a new like, I am definitely not getting one. Yeah, Michael Bennett looked around. And he's like, oh shit, what now? <laughs> and that's the benefit to being good enough to go get a deal somewhere else. 
there's yeah. like, if you're good enough, like Michael Bennett was, he went and got a deal somewhere else. Granted, his was he kind of bullied his way in and then ended up in he ended up where in New England, if I remember correctly. It, the guys yeah, that I, the, if you're good enough to get elsewhere, that's all that matters. Like it, the the guys that are able to make generational wealth and whatnot are the ones that are good enough to succeed outside of their system. And they're able to prove to another team that, Hey, I'm not just my system. I'm better than my system. Yeah. And, and we're talking about this with like great teams like that, but there are even smaller examples of like players on like teams that just have a lot of players like Trey Hendrickson just got an extension this off season. I think the saints would really love Trey Hendrickson right now, given that Davenport's out. Now they're kind of looking at Peyton Turner. Who's like, eh, you know, can you, can you do something here? So I, I'm sure they'd love to keep Trey Hendrickson, but it just wasn't feasible for them apparently. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't feasible because they had spent years and years not paying the Piper and they, it, the bill finally came due. And yeah. so they were, and they were the last one at the table. Yeah, and Drew Brees is like, I can I can pitch in like 30%, but after that, you guys got to finish it. And then they were like, all right, so I guess we got to kind of purge this thing a little bit. But even then, there, there are tons of examples like that. And like you said, it's good when you have, you know, you can get your money elsewhere if there are teams willing to pay the money. The problem now is that as the middle class disappears in football, all of a sudden you look up and you're like, oh, maybe you can't get that second or third contract anymore because – Teams are too afraid of making a bad move because of the salary cap restrictions. And it also, it didn't help that COVID happened. Like if COVID doesn't happen and like the league and, and the league shouldn't have done what they did, but the owners are greedy, overpaid billionaires. They, they didn't have to cut the salary cap as much as they did. They could have just taken a hit to their own pocket and they chose not to do that because the NFL owners don't care about the players. Yeah, of course. It, and this is the give and take, especially in a unionized sport where the give and take can sometimes get ugly because bad feelings start to develop. It starts to feel personal at a certain point on both sides. And at a certain point, it just co- becomes out of spite because it's, you know, the biggest, you know, pain in your neck for X, Y, or Z reasons on both sides. Yeah, I just, I, I'm really, uh, but yeah, it was really frustrating to see a lot of guys that either didn't get paid or they're free agents right now and they should have got, they should be on teams, but the teams couldn't afford them. Like Richard Sherman isn't on a team because the salary cap went down. People are like, oh, he could accept less money. Yeah. Well, when you're Richard Sherman, good, you don't have to do that. He's also made enough money to this point. He doesn't have to take a lesser deal if he doesn't want to. If he, yeah, if people aren't willing to pay him what he thinks, what he sees himself as being worth. He doesn't have to go take another deal because he's got enough money to sit on and relax and wait until somebody calls him in October and says, hey, I'm down my top two corners, I whatever you want. Just give us a blank check and we'll, or you, we'll give you a blank check. You fill out the details. Well, and then the arrest kind of made it a little difficult for him. But then even Josh Norman, like Josh Norman was at home. He's like, I really still want to play in the NFL and I can't be myself because I'm trying to appease myself to employers. And then I think he got picked up by the 49ers practice squad or something like that. But he was like waiting, waiting, waiting to see if someone would give him a competitive offer. And they looked up and they're like, well, we can go get an Eric Stokes and be just as fine without you. Yeah. Yeah. It also doesn't help that like, there's also a slight difference between Josh Norman and Richard Sherman. Those guys are just a slightly different uh, level of playing field. Yeah, that's probably true at this point because Josh Norman had those magical two seasons. And after that, it was, uh, it was about mute for Josh Norman, unfortunately, but that's just the way it goes. Yeah. I really do want to see him do TV though. That would be very entertaining. I would want to see Josh Norman on one of these shows. That would be so interesting to see. There's certain guys that you're like, I want to see you do TV just a couple of times. I don't necessarily want to see you a lot, just like a few times here and there. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Chad Ochocinco is the same way. If he pops up every like few months, I'm okay with that. Like uh, uh, Cam Newton, that's another guy where I'm like, I if I can see like a snippet on a pregame show or something or a snippet on a podcast, I'm good with that. Cam on TV would just, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Like Cam, I feel, Cam, I would like on, like if he was hosting a show as an entertainment aspect more than an analyst. That's not to say he can't analyze the game or anything like that. That's just, I think that he knows how to entertain people. Um, Yeah, Cam Newton is very much an entertainer in the biggest sense of the word in the NFL. He knows how to put on a show. And yeah. 
and there's not not everybody can do that not every player can do that and cam can like when they were good and they went to had that run to the super bowl everybody wanted to hate on him and guess what he didn't care he was doing his thing he had he always knew how to find the kid in the first row of the crowd to get that kid the ball and to make the day special for the fans because that's who he wanted to do it for and for all of your for all of the negative things people want to say about him, you have to respect that aspect of him. At the end of the day, he knew that it's a game that it's about the fans, and he had fun doing it, and he made sure the fans had a good time being there. Think about it. He made that team fun despite the fact they ran the most boring offense of all time. He you mean made that you that weren't a fan fun. of just like the Cam Newton power? If Ted Ginn is your number one receiver, I'm not a fan of your team. If that's, that's the offense you're going to run, if you're going to if you're going to go to the wishbone offense for four Cam Newton power yards a play and win games like twenty to ten, no, I'm not quite a fan of your team or your offense. Well, fine, you're no fun then. <laughs> Except that one game where they beat the Cardinals by like thirty five. That was the one time that they opened up the offense and said, "Cam, let's just pick apart a bad defense." And boy, did they pick apart a bad defense. So. That one game is the one I will say that was fun to watch that Panthers offense. Yeah, there's a lot of there's like when teams do like the thing that everyone on Twitter is like, hey, just do this thing and you'll be in a better spot. It's always amazing to see. Like when when Green Bay would or like when it, like when Green Bay opens up the offense and just throws all the all game, just like abandons the run and just throws when Rodgers is really cooking, it's like this this is it. This is what we've been saying to do. Stop running the ball. It's not working. Just throw the ball. Obviously, there's yeah. certain games where that doesn't doesn't work, but you get the point. Well, I mean, the same thing happened with Russell Wilson last year. It's the best example I can think of because they're like, let Russ cook. Let Russ cook. Look, they jump off to an amazing start. They give Pete Carroll a four-year extension. They give John Schneider an eight-year extension. Like, oh, my gosh, look at how this all works. Oh, no, Russell Wilson's throwing interceptions. We have to go back to running the ball 38 times. That's pretty. I mean, that's pretty sound math, if you ask me. I mean, if you throw the ball, if you throw the ball, it can get intercepted. If you only run the ball, it can never get intercepted. That's just science, in fact. Yeah, as long as Chris Carson doesn't fumble the football, which low key Chris Carson fumbling problem. We don't talk about it enough. Low key got a fumbling problem. But hey, hey, there. But that's not an interception problem. It's not. No, an interception I don't think. Problem. I don't think Russell Wilson has an interception problem. He had an interception problem for like eight weeks last year, and it was the strangest thing ever. Because I'm like. Why is Russell Wilson playing bad? I've never seen Russell Wilson play bad. And then he came out this year and he played awesome. And I'm like, oh, okay. That was just a weird eight weeks where Russell Wilson played bad and they fired their offensive coordinator. For what it's worth, Chris Carson only lost one fumble last season. Oh, well. I, he had that, to, in 12 games, he had one lost fumble. That, I, well, don't, I don't know how many total fumbles he had, but he only lost one. Well, never mind then. Chris Carson doesn't have a fumbling problem. That was, he had uh, seven lost fumbles in 2019. I buried the lead a little, but I didn't want, to include, that, I didn't want to include that one. <laughs> you were making it seem like I was crazy. Like no, I was like, no, no Chris I just, I, I buried the lead. I knew what I was doing. I didn't want to give you the bad season I gave you last year where he only had 141 carries and he had one lost fumble. No, but you had me. You had me questioning yeah. myself that I had just given the people bad information right there. That Chris that's, I mean, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to make you question yourself and make you really think. Like, okay, is am I saying true things? Am I saying information that's false, or is this real stuff? Yes, NFL writer Gage Bridgeford in favor of messing up fact from fiction and in favor of confusing the pe- the masses with his info. Check out his Twitter page and his writing. Of course, that, that's what I'm here for. Yeah, just to confuse the people. Yes, that is exactly what good journalism <laughs> does. Thank you. I, I, you're doing great work out here. Glad I can help you out, Kyle. Uh, thank you.